Welcome to Mindfulness Fridays with Jad Patrick, my wonderful friend, and Jad is a naturopath, nutritionist, and counsellor. You can find out more about him on his Insta handle is Jad. So people always go, what, Jab? Like they never know. So it's J-A-D, Jad Patrick, normal spelling, at naturopathy, and then the Facebook is Jad Patrick Natural Therapy. Yes, Natural Therapies. And Checky Max is always doing uh, workshops and courses and you also practice in definitely nutrition and naturopathy, but your passion would be... Would be more in the realm now of counselling, psychotherapy, working on, you know, life's difficulties, exploring meaning and purpose, goals, all of that sort of stuff. So cool. Speaking of um, life's difficulties, the theme of this episode is exploring and getting comfortable with the topic of heartbreak slash grief. Mm. So it's something we all experience at some stage in our life. Like you don't get love without heartbreak or the risk of heartbreak. Yeah. And grief is the same. Like often you'll have to let something go or someone go at some stage of mm. your your or their lives. Mm. Uh, so I when I kind of like was brainstorming and unpacking this and I came initially from the heartbreak picture and then you message going, well, it's grief really. And and mm. then it kind of it became very different for me. But initially when I was um, writing this, I've written danger to put your worth into somebody else's opinion of you. Mm. This is like earlier younger heartbreaks where I've felt like, oh, my God, like my worth is like I've Yeah, they complete you sort of thing. That's dangerous, right? Yeah. I mean, we all do it to a degree. Like we we sort of come to understand ourselves through others and our experience of others and their perception of us and interactions with us. But there's a danger zone when when our self-worth, our our sense of care for ourselves, our value as a person, et cetera, is measured through the eyes of another, then it can become quite toxic and damaging. Oh, especially if you're dating someone that may be not be the best match for you. Well, th- there's probably a high chance of that if you're feeling those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, and, and heartbreak can be a really good opportunity to have that lesson in, in what do I really think about myself and what are some of the beliefs I have about myself that maybe that person was was making up for in some way mm. and now that they've gone I'm hit head first into these ideas I have about myself or how I'm not good enough or ugly or not worthy of love or all of those sorts of things and they'll rear their ugly head in that moment. You know, heartbreak's awful. It's one of the most, you know, potent things we can sort of feel as humans but I loved how you said at the start that it's... um. It's sort of, you know, it's a price we pay for love in, uh, as well. You know, grief and love are hand in hand and mm. grief is often a, a like a very beautiful kind of countermeasure for the love that we felt. Mm. So um, it's it's horrible when you're in the midst of it but it's, um, it is part of the experience of being human and understanding it better and getting a better sense of it and, and getting some experience with it so that when it comes up in your life you're kind of a bit more prepared for the impact it has I think is really really good for people in the long term. And I think as a culture, we especially these days do not handle grief very well. No, you mentioned that. Yeah. Can you like uh, go further with that? Well, I think death is hidden from us these days. Mm. You know, it's all sort of packaged away in, in hospitals and it's sanitised and it's, you know, even 
our grandparents' day, there would have been, you know, death would have, death would have been something you, you, you could have seen in your day-to-day life. And, and before that, it was very commonplace to, to lose a few children during childbirth and to watch someone die in the family home. And these days, this all happens sequestered or in nursing hospitals and, and whatnot. And, and there's good reason for that. So they're getting the best of care. And, and if, you know, if there's disease present, it's not spreading and all of those sorts of things. But it's meant that we don't have this sense of our mortality and of things finishing, things ending, that good things happen and good things end and that's part of part of life, that there's ups and there's downs. And I watched last week an interview with uh, Kobe, the incredible basketballer for the Lakers mm. that recently passed away in that devastating helicopter crash and he in the interview, he was doing some interview because he's obviously he was obviously uber successful mm. and such a little go-getter. But um, they said, how do you feel about your own mortality was mm. one of the questions. And he said, you can't have life without death, so I feel great mm. about it. Yeah. yeah and I thought like that gives me a bit of goosebumps because like it's almost like and, and I don't think that until you even hit your 30s mm. you have this idea of your mortality and it's only because at this age, we've probably lost someone. Mm. Like in it, when I say loss, I mean death. Mm. Whether it be a grandparent, or you know, you or you'll know, or you'll know of a story, or you you have death has had some kind of impact on you. Mm. But I think your twenties, like I know, I thought I was invincible. I had all this time to do all of I want, mm. all that I wanted, and then to throw on top of that, and I, I didn't want to uh, touch on ageism too much, but mm. being a female, mm. like. Um, there is a ticking timeline for if I want to have kids. Yeah. And yeah. that it becomes so, when you hit I'm 34, mm. it's real. Mm. It is so real. And I mm. don't think it's helped because of society and this expectation, well, you're hitting the mid-30s, mm. you know, are you, you going to do it? Or like, and, and I get that's the second most common thing that people write to me on Instagram, mm. you know, are you getting married? Are you having kids? Anytime I put out like a questions and answer thing. And so I know that's quite separate to grief. Um, well, not necessarily mm. because um, potentially being a mother and becoming a mother, you have to face a lot of grief mm. just to even have a healthy bubba. But my point is um, I think up until now we don't really, this age of our lives, we don't often, unless we're forced to at a younger age, face death. Yeah, yeah. And and when you wrote to me saying grief as opposed to heartbreak, mm. I feel like heartbreak is, I look at heartbreak as an amazing gift because, it, like you said, there's lessons in it, what can I learn about myself. Mm. Um, my therapist said, when would you like to stop dating narcissists? When mm. I first started seeing him two and a half years ago, I went for heartbreak and mm. he goes, these are the same patterns over and over and it's all got to do with self-worth. Yeah. And like you said, what a beautiful lesson in self-worth to the point that these heartbreaks are, this sounds weird, but almost some of the highlights in my life because I've grown so much yeah. from them. Yeah, yeah. But grief linked to death is a very different... Yeah, it's a, a deeper aspect of the same side of the coin, I think. And um, going, yeah, going, going back to heartbreak, I think it's... It's an opportunity to really examine the beliefs you have about yourself as we've sort of talked about and to notice these kind of patterns in the connections you're having. Like your therapist has said, oh, when are you going to stop dating a narcissist? So there was a pattern of attraction there that you needed to draw attention to. You also met a few of them. (laughs) 
Dad's like, oh, I wonder how this one will last. This one will last. <laughs> you said to me the other day, you're like, Matt's the first time that I've known you're with your partner that yeah. you're meant to be with. Matt's a legend. He's, they're, they're both very lucky people. <laughs> um, so identifying those patterns is really important. And some of the patterns we fall into in relationships relate to, in some ways, to how we related to our early infant caregivers. Mm. So what's called our attachment style in psychology, which is which is a, an area that's not um, entirely kind of evidence-based. It sort of is still sort of a theory, but that there is patterns to the way that we attach as infants or relate to our caregivers and, and how those caregivers respond to our needs. So how an infant, you know, cries and make, has its needs met, there'll be patterns there. And those patterns can then affect the development of our personality style later in life. Now, not all the research has been consistent on this, but there is some some patterns to that, that some of us will become more anxious in relationships, avoidant in relationships, secure in relationships, and kind of a bit disorganised and fucked up in relationships. And it, it, it goes along with our expectation of what we're going to meet from caregivers in our, in our early years. We'll have that same expectation and be drawn to people that match that. So quite often if we've got an anxious attachment style where we feel a great deal of anxiety when the person leaves or goes away, that we overthink every little text message, that every every kind of nuance of behaviour is examined, are they going to reject me, are they going to leave me, we tend to have that activated by people who have avoidant personality types, so people who are aloof, appear very cool and calm and collected, but they're actually quite afraid of intimacy. Yeah. They, they tend to find that quite threatening because in those early years their needs weren't get, getting met mm. for, for um, uh, care when they were under distress and so they, they turn inwards. They, they, they sort of become quite fearful of emotions and feelings um, and they can become quite um, more focused on their own inner world and um, job and career, et cetera. So they can tend Surely to present more as Surely that catches up nuts. with you though. Well, it can do, yeah. I mean, they, they then will struggle in, in relationships mm. and it's not to say that they don't feel a sense of loneliness. It's kind of just buried a bit more more deeply. Mm. Whereas the anxious person, it's a bit more kind of obvious, the sort of like, why are you leaving me and what did that text message mean? And then there's a secure attached person who had their needs met in early infancy and they can sort of negotiate those challenges in a relationship without having their core sense of self rattled when someone you know, goes and does a course in the evenings instead of spending the night with them. They won't take that as a personal mm. insult or they're moving away from me. They'll just sort of see that as that person pursuing their goals. And then there's what's called disorganised attachment when, when people have quite trauma, traumatic early early years and their, their um, understanding of normal relationships is quite kind of skewed and, and they'll end up with lots of serious sort of problems. It's sort of they're broad kind of categories. They're rather indefinable. There's criticism of this theory in the literature. But I think it's useful to kind of understand your patterns in relationships why you seem to be attracted to the wrong guy or wrong girl or wrong person and um, and and examining that, bringing to light what's going on here and what need underneath that is 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 happening. And one of the things you can do with heartbreak, I think, is first feel whatever feelings are coming up. So notice is it anger, is it rejection, is it loneliness, is it really sit with those feelings. Because often when we get that difficult feeling, especially if it's a heartbreak, we can't do anything about someone's left you, 
They've made their decision. They've moved on. We need to then, it's our responsibility what we do with those feelings. But often to escape that difficult feeling of rejection, of hurt, of, of um, abandonment in some way, mm. we'll do all sorts of crazy things. We'll try to contact them. We'll send them phones. Uh, we'll send them songs on our phone. Mm. We'll give, you know, send them flowers or we'll you know, try to manufacture situations where we see them again or we'll, or we'll go the opposite way. We're like, oh, I'm going to improve every aspect of myself and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to show them and um, it's oh, the still revenge body, the revenge kind of, kind of body thing, yeah. And we, we've all done it to a degree and there's, there's something sort of normal and human about that. But if unless you get in touch with the, the core feeling of abandonment, of loneliness, of rejection, of hurt, of anger or whatever, you won't be able to move through it. So all of those strategies are a way of not encountering that pain. And underneath that emotional pain, we can sometimes unpack a story about who we are. So I'm having this feeling of rejection and loneliness and it makes me think of the fact that I'm fundamentally unlovable or I am not good enough or I am flawed in some way. Mm. And when we see that story showing up, we can then start to see the impact of that story in our broader life. Oh, when I feel that way, when I have that story playing in the back of my mind, I feel a great deal of pain. And starting to have compassion towards ourselves because we feel that pain, because of the impact of the story. And holding ourselves warmly and with affection that, ah, this really hurts, Mm. sitting with it so that's mindfulness this really hurts, I notice this is happening, bringing in a sense of common humanity. So we remind ourselves, I'm not alone in feeling this way. This is how a heart breaks, as Mm. you know, the song goes. This is what a human body feels to lose Mm. and I'm connected to others through this process of loss. So that's common humanity. And the third aspect of self-compassion is self-kindness. What would I say to someone in this same Mm. situation? What would someone who cares about me say to me? What words would they use, language, tone of voice? Can I give myself some of that? Mm. Can I offer myself some of the love that I am trying to get from this other person that I can no longer get? Can I remind myself that, yeah, I am worthy? Can I remind myself the opposite of that story we Mm. tell ourselves in those sorts of moments? And this doesn't happen Instantly, you know, this takes a few goes. <laughs> it takes a few goes, you know. It takes a few, and and you have to have a few of those sorts of relationship breaks down to realize, oh, hang on a second, there's a pattern here. Yeah, I see this happening. Yeah, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, those patterns still will pop up, even with your full knowledge about them. But at least when you've got the knowledge, you can see it happening. Yeah, and then you've got the skill of mindfulness to sort of step back from it all and go, okay, where is this going? Yeah, when I engage in this sort of habit, what what are the consequences of that? Is there an, another way I can step outside of that, another way of relating? So good. I, I This reminded me of I went through a breakup and Jad was with me at the moment I was dumped via text. Do you remember that? I was working it with you, Paran. Yeah. The um, person I really had fallen head over heels for, but he had a mental condition. Mm. I'm pretty sure he had bipolar. Yeah. And I remember you going, I'm so glad that this happened while you were kind of like with me because you were able straight away because I was like, what do I do? How do I respond? And I was freaking out mm. and you were like, I remember you looked at me and you said, you don't need to respond to that. Mm. And he would written some big essay like, what was me? We mm. can't be together, mm. blah, blah, blah. And I knew full well that we had started to fall in love. And you just looked at me calmly and I was art mess and you literally just said, 
he doesn't need a response from you. Mm. And it was so empowering because I was still that real givey, like that mm. was my mistake often mm. in relationships. I just feel like I need to be the healer. Mm. And you were really in that moment, you were just so clear. And I think it's it's wonderful when you can have people around you that can kind of like, and I'm very lucky that you were there and you supported me in that scenario. And do you know the funny thing about that? Three years later, he tracked me down and apologised. Yeah, wow. And that to me shows, and this is the other thing we haven't touched on, we grow as humans. Mm. And like, you know how you just said, like, even personally, you know that you can sometimes fall into the same pattern, but you've grown from the person that you were even a year ago. Mm. And we all do, and so do the people that we date. Mm. And like, even Matt and I, well, we've been together, I don't know, it's probably coming up two years. And we've both done so much work on ourselves for that process that our bond has become more like closer and closer and closer. Yeah. Do you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is like, if you do the work on yourself mm. and other people, like there is a way of kind of like, yeah, falling out. The only reason I was able to fall out of the habit of dating narcissists was through therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got to let go of this myth that someone out there is going to complete you, that there is this, you know, perfect person out there and once you meet them, everything in your life will change. Mm. Relationships take the most work Mm. and your relationship to yourself should be a big part of that work. And if you can really get in touch with your own habits, patterns, modes of reacting, etc., then you go into a relationship with, you know, with awareness and therefore choice. But too many of us, I think, have fed this bullshit Hollywood dream of, mm. of finding this knight in shining armour that's going to whisk us away and solve our, all of our problems. And it's you've got to just get over that. Like mm. we've got to recognise that story for what it is. It sells movies and it sells products. It's And it's not human. It's not human. Like, you know, love is messy and yeah. complicated and it hurts and there's ups and downs and, and it's, you know, it's working through that that the, a lot of the true joy I think comes from in a relationship is when you can really sort of move through those difficulties totally. together with a shared commitment to you know what this is tough but it's worth kind of exploring mm. and and coming to some kind of resolution about. There was one thing you taught me about heartbreak again when I was going through a heartbreak years ago and I just want you to speak to it because I think people will relate to it and I remember saying to you, oh, my God, he's just everywhere. Like I'll see a car that's like his or and I'm not going out of my way like I'm not manufacturing a situation or I'll the same songs that we listen to will come on the radio or like, you know, you, and you said you're psychologically sticky, your mind is sticky for mm, him. Can mm. you quickly explain that because I think it's really fascinating. Yeah, well, I guess I th- it comes back to that kind of our mind is sort of sticky for n- the negative. It's looking for mm. it's looking for problems all the time and it will, it will try to find kind of solutions to that problem and it's always on the lookout for threat. And, mm. and in that moment that the breakup of the relationship is the is the threat, is the sort of dangerous, that kind of, that that disconnection is the threat. So there's like constant, the brain is always on the lookout for any reminders of what's going on mm. and and so it can feel like, you know, that the universe is sort of conspiring mm. against us in some ways or, or for us. Mm. But really is that our mind is just like super kind of attentive to all of those kind of triggers and factors that go into it and, um, you know, sort of recognising that is, is part of, the process of kind of moving on as well is that, you know, is that, that your mind will kind of... And that sticky thing goes away. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I remember, you know, when we talk about grief, there'd be moments where you think you've seen a person at a train station that's passed away or whatever. And it is your mind kind of so, it wants that reconnection again. It's searching for that reconnection. So it's looking for it everywhere and and it will pop up in all sorts of strange kind Mm. of metaphorical sort sort of ways. And then sometimes you hit bang again with the grief of, oh, that's, oh, it's not them. And and they're they're Mm. still gone. and, and, And that's hard. And that is part of the kind of process. Um, Can I ask you something about grief quickly because I'm glad you opened that up and this is only because it's like um, something I've worked on very recently and I was working with my therapist around I I just had a sticky situation with my nan's really sick and and I was telling him about it and I was getting really choked up and I was like, no, no, I've processed this. I processed this in the car between Frankston Hospital and Rosebud and he started laughing at me <laughs> and he just said, when would you like to process this then? Mm. And that's when we did a meditation around love mm. and 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 he said you need to stop grief because I was worrying and I was getting really worried about my nan's health and I was getting really worried about her being alone. That was mm. my main worry and fear and he's like these are all worries for yourself Mm. and these are things that you're worried about and he said the best thing that you can do is love and love her and 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 the moment he kind of took this took me on this journey of like first of all processing feeling the feelings I was feeling being sad about potential loss and grief and whatnot and then I was crying still and he's like, tell me what you're sad about. And I was Mm. like, selfishly missing this person. And I was like, it's completely self. And he goes, yeah, she's not sad. Mm. You're sad. Mm. Mm. And he's like, you need to start coming from a place of like loving Mm. this because like love and grief, like you were saying. Hand in hand. Yeah, Yeah, fascinating. But grief to me is something that. I'm only like dipping my toe in the water of understanding and getting my head around, but it feels like a very potentially painful, very deep, but also a very, in a weird kind of way, rewarding experience to have been Mm. a human and Mm. been a part of. And that might sound super insensitive and I really hope it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't think it did in that moment and I'm sure no one listening would would have that. When you go through the process of grief and it's the the process is individual for everyone, for me grief feels in the body like the weight of the love that's lost. Mm. So it's absolutely overbearing at first. It is crushing. You literally feel like you cannot breathe Mm. sometimes. The grief is so overwhelming. And then after a while as you sit with that grief, as you become, you feel into it and you get a feel into grief, you you cannot like, you can't rush it. You cannot rush it. You got to feel right into it and that, and tap on it, feel it, have a little break from it, feel it again, have a little break from it. It's kind of like lifting a weight. It's like lifting the weight of the love that was lost. Mm. And eventually you can sort of carry it around with you. You cannot get rid of the grief. Mm. But you can start to carry it around with you and you grow stronger around this grief, like a little bit of grit and an oyster growing a pearl. And as you get stronger, you realise I can go on and I can carry this grief with me. And many years later, sometimes you'll hold that grief and that weight will feel like the love that was once there yeah. and I'm, I'm tearing up as I say this because I wouldn't want anyone to take my grief away from me because it is a reminder of, you know, the precious people that were in my life. 
yeah. And, you know, so when you see it in that way, like in our, our cultures, grief is bad, it's a bad feeling and it impacts on people's lives and, it, and they should go on medication if it lasts longer than three months. This is literally the case mm. now where if it's going on for longer than three months, if your baby's died in, uh, you know, six months after birth in a car accident or something like that, three months' time, if you're still depressed from that, oh, well, we better get you on medication. Now, using medication to help cope with the grief, that's fine. Pathologizing a natural process and thinking that we should all be able to get on with everything, that's not okay with me. Grief takes its time, it's individual, certainly get help around mm. it if you feel like it's disproportionate or if it's really affecting your quality of life. But it is a massive opportunity for you to reflect on what is valuable in your life. And I think the key with grief is to find some sense of resilience from it, a strength from mm. it, and a reconnection with what's important to you mm. and what's, you know, your meaning and purpose, what, what what makes sense for you in this world to to be about and to live in accordance with, you know, your values and your meaning and everything. So it's in the moment. It's fucking hard. Yeah. It's the hardest thing and you do feel like it's too hard to bear but, you know, people go through really awful grief and, and, and if they can move through it, um, feel into it, then they, then they can start to, to grow. And the most beautiful thing you just said as well was one day there's a moment where the grief feels like the love that you felt for that yeah, person. Exactly. And that's beautiful it's beautiful it's yeah. still bloody painful yeah. right then just there bang yeah. touched on it and I'm like oh that heaviness yeah. is still there it's still in my body as a reminder of the love that was there but I wouldn't give it away for the world yeah you know it's 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 painful but it's also now I feel stronger because of it and I feel stronger having it in there it's like you know I'm carrying around this massive bloody weight but yeah. you know you know like I'm a power lifter for that emotion. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for opening up about grief because, like you said, it's not something that is super explored or mm. definitely not in my world. Um, and I think the way you touched on how death is hidden from us is so spot on but also quite powerful to realise that. I didn't mm. really, I hadn't, I, my brain hadn't attached or like done that synapse jump or whatever that mm, was. I mm. like because I associate when I visit my nana in a nursing home or the hospital, I am doing that thing mm. as opposed to understanding the feeling and what's really going on on a much deeper level. Mm, mm. And I think you've summed all of these topics, like the death, the grief, the heartbreak up so beautifully. Thank you so much. Not my pleasure. Now I'm pumped for the meditation yeah. <laughs> around this because I, th I think that like every single human, n no matter where you've come from, what walk of life, you've experienced grief. Mm, mm. Definitely. Yeah, fair bit. <laughs> totally. Thank you so much. Is there anything I haven't touched on because I know this is a, uh, no, I think you've, you've covered a lot of it. The, the meditation is not specifically related to grief or heartbreak as such. It's about, but it is about kind of caring for ourselves in a really tender way, which is what we need when we're grieving. Mm. And um, this particular meditation, Compassionate Friend, which is about imagining a sort of com safe space and a compassionate presence in our lives, 
has a way of sort of um, shifting our attachment style tendencies. Ah. So the more we practice meditation, this this particular meditation, if practiced daily for six months, has the capacity to change the way you the way you then relate to others in relationships. So it's very powerful, very simple, very gentle. It uses visualization, which um, a lot of people like. Some people aren't so good at, but um, don't let that put you off. There's ways you can approach yeah. it that don't involve the visual. But um, it's a really great way of kind of reconnecting, reattaching to that sense of kindness within you. Oh, mm. Sign me up. <laughs> thank you. And also thank you for um, pointing out the importance of not putting a timeline on grief. Mm. It is so it, – it almost is something to be – Again, I don't want this to come across the way, but honoured for what it is yeah, and for the loss of love that you've experienced. Mm. And I'm so glad you spoke to that because that's not in my skill set the way that you were saying the body image stuff isn't so in your skill set. Mm. This understanding grief is newer to me and I think all of us can gain something from this. So thank you so much. Stay listening for Jad's um, Compassionate Friend Meditation, is that what it's yes. called? yeah. And please subscribe because we've done a few other episodes on body image, stress and anxiety, and the next one we're going to be recording is about that, like, lost and feeling kind of stuck feeling. Thanks, guys. Big love. This next meditation is called Compassionate Friend. Please adopt a comfortable meditation posture. You can listen to the first episode if you want to know how to do that. Adopting a posture you can hold for about 10 to 15 minutes. For this exercise, it's okay to be extra comfy. So you might even like to lay down if you feel alert enough not to go to sleep. Perhaps finding a spot on the floor that's flat but a little bit uncomfortable so you don't fall asleep. But comfy enough that you feel nice and relaxed. Rolling your shoulders back on the next in-breath. Noticing any tension in the shoulders, seeing if you can let go and open up the chest area. On your next breath in, softening the belly. Breathing in. Squeezing that bit of tension at the top of the in-breath and then on the out-breath, softening the belly and letting go. And on the next breath in, squeezing the muscles in the face and clenching the jaw, breathing in, squeezing the face, tensing the jaw and letting go of all of those muscles and relaxing the face. You can close your eyes or half close your eyes, whatever feels right for you. And if you like, you can place a hand on your heart region now or any other spot that feels supportive and soothing. Noticing the warmth of your hand and the gentle pressure of your hand on your heart. With this exercise, we will be practicing visualizing a safe place and feeling a compassionate presence within that safe space. So see if you can set yourself the intention now to be curious about this, to be curious about this felt presence of compassion 
and bring these feelings to mind as best you can. Letting go of your hand now or keeping it there, always checking in with yourself. What do I need right now in this moment? Now some people visualize more easily than others, so this exercise might be good for them. But some of us struggle with visualization. If that's you, please see if you can bring your focus more onto the feeling of being safe and the feeling of being next to someone very compassionate and kind. Imagining what that might be like if you can't visualize so well. Now imagining that you're in a place that is extremely comfortable and safe. Perhaps somewhere from your memory, such as a beautiful beach, a holiday house, maybe a cozy room. Perhaps you might come up with a totally imaginary place that feels super comfy and safe. You can be as make-believe as you like. It could be floating in the ocean with dolphins or resting on a cloud. Whatever brings up feelings of comfort and security for you. And really bringing to mind what it'd be like to be in this place. Using your senses, imagining how it would look. What smells might be around. Any sounds you might hear. Any senses of light touch or textures on your skin like the feeling of sand on your feet or a gentle breeze. Perhaps noticing the pressure of your body resting. Maybe there's even a taste you can associate with this place that feels so safe and secure. Really savouring and exploring the sensations in your body you might feel in such a comfy and secure and safe place. And very soon in this safe place, you're going to receive a special visitor. And this visitor is a warm and compassionate, caring friend. The warmest, most kindest, compassionate friend that you've ever known. They might be a real person or they can be someone imagined. And feel free to embellish this person with as much wisdom, strength, an absolute unconditional love just for you. They might even be someone from your past, such as a kind, wise grandparent. 
or perhaps they are a spiritual figure, a companion animal or a pet, or maybe even just a felt energetic presence that you feel around you. This compassionate being cares so much for you and genuinely wants you to be happy and free from unnecessary suffering in life. Taking a moment now and letting this presence appear. If you're struggling to imagine a compassionate being, see if you can imagine what it might be like to be in the presence of such a kind, caring being. As this compassionate being appears, you may wish to invite them into your safe space. Or perhaps you might want to go out and meet them somewhere else. It's totally, totally up to you. Your compassionate friend is incredibly wise and knows exactly where you're at in your life journey right now. They are feeling compassion for your suffering and kindness towards you. And they want what's best for you though they completely accept you just as you are right now. And imagining for a moment that your friend wants to tell you something, something that you especially need to hear right now, in your life, in this moment. What might they say to you? If no words appear, that's okay. Perhaps you might like to just continue enjoying their presence. Or perhaps they're communicating to you with just a smile and kind eyes. Savouring for a moment being in their presence. And maybe in this moment there's something you might wish to say back to them. Perhaps something you've been wanting to share with them. Imagining yourself now saying those words to your friend and they listen and deeply accept everything that you say. Feeling the kindness coming from you too. And now your compassionate friend might like to present you with a gift. Some kind of material object that's meaningful to you. Something special and precious, something personal just for you. And if something appears in your mind, taking some time to be curious about it, examining this special gift 
The meaning might be cryptic, and you just take the time to enjoy how nice it feels to be gifted something from your compassionate friend. And perhaps it has some special meaning. Enjoying that too, knowing that they care about you and have gifted you this. Taking a few more moments now to really enjoy your compassionate friend's presence. Noticing how good it feels to be close to someone so caring, wise, gentle and compassionate. And as you continue to savour the feeling of their good company, realise that this compassionate friend of yours is actually a part of yourself. All those compassionate feelings, words, gifts, images and gestures were all a product of your very own inner wisdom and compassion. When you're ready, you can allow this compassionate friend and safe place to slowly fade away from your immediate awareness. Knowing that this compassion and wisdom lies within you always, and you can bring this friend to your mind at any time, whenever you need this friend most. Taking a moment now to scan your body for any sensations, thoughts and feelings that may be present, savouring and lingering a bit longer with any pleasant experiences that arise, and making room for any discomfort that may have also arisen, and having some compassion for yourself for that too. Taking a moment to reflect on the words and images to think about how you felt before this meditation and how you feel now. Knowing that this whole experience was created from your own compassionate wisdom. Letting yourself feel exactly as you are now, letting go of the meditation altogether. And whenever you're ready, ever so slowly opening your eyes.